Hello everyone and welcome back to the Knowledge Group podcast where we're taking a forward look at what we're looking to cover at future events where this time we're turning our attention to qualified opportunity funds navigating implications for real estate and investors going live with this webcast Wednesday, February the 6th between 3pm and 5pm Eastern Standard Time. All the information about our panel and how to sign up for this webcast will be found in the description box along with the code PODCAST25 getting you 25% off that first webcast purchase. Podcast 25 is the code that you need. We'll be hearing from Mr. Stephen Wilson of Council at Withers Bergman LLP. We'll be hearing from Petra Zafram, a member of Harris Beach PLLC. We'll also hear from Mr. Venroy July, a principal at Miles and Stockbridge PC, and Mr. Jay Rudder, a partner at Archer and Grenier PC. Let's turn things over to them now. Hello, everyone. My name is Steve Wilson. I'm an attorney with Withers Bergman LLP in its San Francisco office. Our firm is a worldwide firm, and uh, it serves the investment needs of clients uh, and the estate planning needs of clients from all over the globe. Uh, My particular responsibility within the firm uh, is to be senior West Coast real estate transactional counsel for the firm, So I have a fair amount of exposure to this Qualified Opportunity Zone legislation uh, in practice. I'm leading off this panel, uh, and my job for you uh, is to give you a bright line framework for understanding Qualified Opportunity Zone law and for how you benefit from this law. I'm going to do these things. First of all, I'm going to give you a brief history uh, and some insight into the legislative motivation of this law. I'm going to tell you who can participate in Qualified Opportunity Fund investment. We'll explore what kinds of investments can be made, broadly speaking. We'll take a look at the two big forms of tax relief that are available under this law. And then we'll get into some of the nitty-gritty or timing requirements uh, in this law because the law is rife with uh, timing requirements and time triggers. These include the sale of your original investment, whose proceeds you will use, the reinvestment of the federal gain into a qualified opportunity fund, the investment by that fund in a qualifying project, your twice annual compliance testing, partial relief for federal capital gains on the incoming investment, because there are timing triggers there, relief from federal capital gains on the sale of the qualifying investment, and then the final sale of the property. Uh, We'll look at key terms for an operating agreement of an LLC or a shareholders agreement if it's a corporation. We'll also look at some common mistakes that can be made. Having given you this framework, The rest of the panel will fill in some very interesting details on the remainder of the law. Good afternoon. My name is Pietra Zafram. I am a partner with Harris Beach PLLC. I'm based in western New York. We are a full-service law firm throughout New York State, up and down the thruway. We also have offices in Connecticut, New Jersey, um, and downstate in New York City. So I practice in the area of tax and public finance and economic development, and in particular, this program is intriguing as a tax attorney because it provides one of the most exciting opportunities for incentives for development in 
distressed areas that we've seen in a while. And in New York State, um, our firm actually um, has quite a large practice surrounding economic development, so this fits nicely in our sweet spot in that area. I'm going to be talking to you about some of the particulars with regard to investing in what are known as qualified opportunity zone businesses in the zones, um, what will qualify as a business, what are the requirements, what types of assets can the business hold, and what types of tests does the business have to meet in order to remain qualified as a qualified opportunity zone business. And that includes the requirements for what is known as qualified opportunity zone business property. The recent regulations that came out in late 2018 gave us some guidance as to what types of investments and what types of tangible property in particular uh, will meet and satisfy the requirements for these incentives to be um, maintained. Also, I will discuss Revenue Ruling 2018-29. This is an important revenue ruling because it clarifies the substantial improvement tests with regard to existing structures. What we've seen and heard um, as far as this program is concerned is that there's some questions as to what will happen if an investment occurs on a piece of property, for example, that has an existing structure that's going to be rehabilitated, what needs to be done in order to rehab that property that will meet the requirements. Um, we'll also get into what is known as the working capital safe harbor. As this capital flows into the funds that are created, the regulations have provided a safe harbor uh, to allow working capital to extend over a period of time in order to um, have these investments and these developments come to fruition. So we'll get into some of the details about what will um, allow the Working Capital Safe Harbor to be utilized. And then I will conclude my portion of the program with questions that remain. When the regulations came out, they came out in draft, although the taxpayers can rely upon them, and we are awaiting further guidance from the IRS and the Treasury on this program, and I'll go through some of the big questions that remain to be answered. So good afternoon. Uh, my name is Ben July. I am a corporate and securities partner at Miles of Stockbridge PC. Miles of Stockbridge is a, a law firm, a multi-practice law firm operating in the Mid-Atlantic with um, offices in Baltimore, D.C., and Northern Virginia. Um, so, you know, I think the prior speakers have given a good rundown of exactly the requirements regarding the Opportunity Zone. And if your market is anything like ours or where we operate, there is a ton of excitement around the Opportunity Zones. But with that excitement, I think there are some pitfalls and some of the experiences that we've had in regards to some things that people might not be initially considering. We're going to talk about those, some practical um, points that we should be discussing, particularly in regards to the securities law compliance. Uh, our prior speaker spoke about the requirements in regards to the actual fund documents, but depending on how you're going to be starting a fund and what type of fund you're going to be starting and how you'll be collecting um, capital, it's important to make sure that you don't trip over some of the um, disclosure rules regarding opportunity zones. And as we've kind of talked about, there are a few pitfalls that you can trip over. So my talk will be just about 
some practical implications of the opportunity zones, some things that you should be considering, and some disclosures that you might want to include in any offering documents. Hi, my name is Jay Ruder. I'm a partner in the real estate department at Archer & Griner PC. We are a full-service law firm headquartered in New Jersey with locations up and down the state as well as in Philadelphia, which is where I work, and uh, New York City and Wilmington. Uh, as a real estate lawyer, I found the uh, Opportunity Funds uh, particularly uh, fascinating and at the same time realized that uh, with all the focus and attention being paid to them, we oughtn't lose sight of the fact that there is still another tool uh, for deferring capital gains recognition, namely the 1031 like-kind exchange out there, although it has also been uh, fundamentally uh, changed by the nature of the new tax legislation. And I felt that it would be helpful for real estate investors in particular if we were to explore the benefits that opportunity funds uh, have available that are no longer available through 1031 exchanges, and conversely, also to see what opportunities and benefits are available through a 1031 exchange that the opportunity funds do not provide to those who choose to uh, invest in that vehicle. After contrasting those two uh, opportunities, uh, I also thought that it would be useful if we were to take a step back and reflect on non-tax considerations that would drive an investor towards uh, one or the other choice uh, as sometimes uh, those real-world considerations get lost in all of the uh, uh, discussion surrounding the, the new kid on the block, namely the Opportunity Fund, uh, things that tie into the substantial improvements requirement that has already been mentioned, local tax considerations, uh, as well as good old-fashioned location, location, location issues are all things that we'll need to uh, think about in making this choice. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Knowledge Group podcast. Don't forget, more information about our panel and information to sign up for this event will be found in the description box, along with the code PODCAST25, getting you 25% off that first webcast registration. We look forward to seeing you February the 6th and at future Knowledge Group events. Take care, everyone. Bye now.